I want to again welcome you all here. And uh, my name's Peter, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Harvest. And we are just excited for today and excited uh, for what God is doing in and through us. And uh, I want to, we are going to hear from a very special guest. Matt, will you come on up? This right here is Matthew Carl Moult. <laughs> That's true. And uh, I know his middle name because it was stamped on his Bible, and I always saw it. So Matthew Carl Moult, everybody. Um, no, I just, this is a very special time to have Matt and Lisa come back. And um, we, have, uh, we have a lot of great memories together. And these are some great friends, and not just because that's what you're supposed to say when you're introducing someone, but because we've gone through a lot. And we've gone through, like I kind of joked at the beginning, we've gone through really funny times, we've gone through really emotional times, we've gone through hard times where we had to work through things. How many of you guys know that relationships aren't always clean? And, but what, what makes a relationship powerful is the commitment to stay together and the commitment to work through those situations and decide to see what God is doing in the two of you. Um, Matt, Lisa, right before they, they f felt called to go to the Tri-Cities to plant the church, they played an integral part. Um, we actually went out to beaches for, for happy hour. That was a sober happy hour, just in case you don't know. It just means cheap food. Um, and... While we were there, they were going to be transitioning out of here and planting a church, and I was going to be moving into full-time here at the church. I had been part-time for a long time, and but I, I was struggling with it because of shame from something I had done in my past, and I couldn't forgive myself, and so I felt unworthy. And I remember, you know, kind of opening up to it and thinking that they were going to be like, oh, hey, little buddy, you know, we all go through those hard times. And Lisa just looked at me and just like pointed her finger and was like, stop it. You need to stop it. God forgave you and you need to accept his forgiveness. You're the only person still holding this over your life. And it called something out and it was powerful. And that's the kind of friends that they are. And um, Matt and I aren't a lot alike. We have a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. But this is what I love about this man is he weeps for the presence of God. And uh, you'll probably hear maybe one or two jokes. They're not as good as mine, but you'll still hear a couple. Just give them courtesy laughs, okay? Um, he cries, not quite as much as I do, but he does shed some tears. But he loves the presence of God. He loves the word of God. And more than anything, he wants to see it not just stay in a building like this, or stay in our homes in our quiet time, or something that we sing out loud when we're in our private cars, but he wants to see it go out into the world, into our workplaces, into our schools, and into our nations. And so I believe there's something very special that God has for you and I this morning through Matt's ministry. So will you again just welcome Matthew Carl Molt to City Harvest. Thanks, buddy. Okay, just to show of hands, would you raise your hand if you went to church here when Lisa and I and our family went to church here? Yeah, a lot of you. That's awesome. I just want to apologize in advance. I don't remember your names. I've been, I've been gone for 12 years, and we have met 
so many people. I remember a couple, I won't tell you whose names I remember, but um, if you got in trouble in our youth group, I remember your name. Uh, no, but uh, it's just great to see all the faces. Uh, and man, just love this place. Lisa and I were so uh, changed uh, for the good here in our years here. And uh, we never thought we would leave here, actually. We were uh, like, we're going to live and die in Vancouver, Washington. And that was our heart. And God called us out of here. It's really good to be here. Uh, a couple quick memories. Pete and I did a stakeout. We have <laughs> one time where we were spying on a couple young adults from our, from our group that were getting in trouble. And uh, that was a really great memory. And we also then had a talk that I'll never forget where your pastor, uh, Pete, uh, wasn't your pastor maybe at that time, but he said to me these words, something to these, this effect. He said, I really, uh, it doesn't matter where you live, I just want to live in a place and put my roots down and just be there forever because that's how you make a difference. And that stayed with me and impacted me forever. So I just want to thank you for that. And the fruit of that is in your and Tamar's life. And it's so amazing. I remember playing a Frisbee with Nick Solscheid right back here when, when Nick was just almost a Christian, and it was amazing, but he gave his heart to Christ in those years, and has become an amazing man of God, and uh, those are memories I'll never forget. And then uh, Jan and Brent Stahl, my goodness sakes, I think they were here before Jesus was here, and so they've been in the church forever, and uh, love those guys. I'll tell you what I love about them. When, we, when they came to our church, they just welcomed Lisa and I in just unconditionally and loved on us and cheerleaded us and just all, all the different people. But I, I want to honor uh, Bob and Sue and, and Pete and Tamar in this way and just say that uh, it's been very public, you know, in the news and stuff that just churches just aren't making it all the way to the end. Uh, and, and people fall and ministries are crumbling and things like that. And the transition and the health of the church and that you guys have made it through uh, is honor worthy. And uh, I want to honor you and thank you for just having integrity and just going, hey, we're going we're gonna to build a church. The church is eternal. And I love that. And I just, can we just give our, your pastors, all of them, a big, huge hand clap for how they've lived. It's been amazing. Yeah. So Lisa and I drove out here from Tri-Cities, Washington. Uh, if you want to know what it's like, it's dry and warm, and it's amazing, and uh, you can come visit anytime. And we made the drive out here, burned up the tank of gas in my Honda Civic, and uh, have had a really good time. Got to hang out with Pete and Tamar last night, and really excited for today. Um, I, I, something awful happened this morning, though. I got robbed this morning. So I called the police, and they came, and they showed up, and they said, can you just give us a little detail? Where did it happen? And I'm like... Pump four, right here, and uh, so everything's good. They took a report. All right, here, here's what I want to talk to you today about, if I can. I want to talk to you uh, about unearned favor and unlikely people. What God wants to do is he wants to give a generous amount of his favor to unlikely candidates, just because he can and he wants to and he enjoys it. He wants to pour out his favor on us. And um, I believe that God is uh, wanting this year to be a year where the church specifically comes out of the fog. In the last two years, it's been really difficult to kind of see the future, know what was going to happen. And I remember uh, 
at the beginning of this year, I, I was praying and I said, Lord, would you just give me maybe a word for, for me or for our church uh, in the Tri-Cities about what you're wanting to do? I just want to be able to see clearly a little bit. And uh, as I was praying, we were doing a 21-day prayer and fasting time. And in that, God highlighted a scripture to me that I'm going to share with you today. It was so profound. I feel like it's a word not just for our church, but I really believe it's a word for your church as well and something that God is doing. And I I do think this, I'll, I'll say this, I think that in the next five to seven years that society is going to start looking to pastors and to churches again for leadership and counsel and guidance and help. And they haven't over the last several decades. We've been kind of sidelined, and there's been reasons for that, and God has been cleaning house. But I believe that God is going to re-honor the church and the people that have been faithful to him because uh, God is doing a good work in his church. And so here's, here's where we're going to go today. God began to talk to me from the life of Joseph. Joseph is a character in the Bible, and the one scripture in particular I'm going to read to you in a moment. Historically, Joseph saves the world from a famine that was in Egypt, which was the superpower at the time. And Joseph happens to be a part of of saving the world from seven years of famine. And it included saving his father, Jacob, and his 11 brothers. uh, Jacob had a big family. Joseph was the 11th son. And he was uh, the son that was the favored son of Jacob. And the Bible says that it was because he was born in his old age. And so Jacob loved Joseph. And that became a problem because uh, Joseph began to get favor from his father. He got special clothes, got special privileges, didn't have to go to, his, to work as often as the other brothers did. And in, in the story of his life, if you were to do a study on his life, you would find that there's one word that really marks Joseph's life more than any other character in the whole Bible. And that word is favor. Favor marked Joseph's life. Now, would you just raise your hand if you want the favor of God on your life? Come on. Um, also, we just took a picture and you signed up for kids camp. So thank you for volunteering by raising your hand for that. Uh, favor marks the life of Joseph. And I always thought that was a great thing. But as you read the story of Joseph, you'll recognize Joseph went through a lot of garbage in his life. He went through a lot of deep waters and in that God still favored him. So Joseph, part of his story is he's He's human trafficked, if you will, and sold off to Egypt. And he's in Egypt. He's learning a foreign language, a foreign culture, foreign way of life. As God's favors on his life, he becomes a very important person, second only to Pharaoh. And it was a big deal. But his brothers that sold him didn't know what happened to him. They thought he died. So the brothers are in the famine, and they end up coming to Egypt to buy grain. And they end up buying it from from Joseph. But Joseph knows who he is, and he knows who his brothers are. He probably had the Egyptian garb on. They didn't recognize him. And so it's in this moment that we're going to read in Scripture where Joseph begins to, like, reveal himself and tell his brothers, this is who I am, and this is why God sent me here. And here's here's how that Scripture reads. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you 
to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Now, let me just pause right there. God sent him there. He had a recognition that the trials in his life wasn't because of somebody else, but God was in control of his life. God sent him there. It was, a, it was a revelation to him. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all of his house, ruler over all the land of Egypt. It's an incredible moment. The Bible describes that his brothers are stunned and don't know what to say, but it's this unveiling, and it's because God gives an unusual amount of unearned favor to unlikely people. And here's four things that I've learned uh, as I've been praying through this year and these last couple years. Number one, God is sovereign over the affairs of mankind. God's in charge. And uh, it's really good when bad things happen on a national or global scale for this reason. If you have faith in God, your theology gets a little sharper. And you have to go, God, you have to be in control of this. And I just want to declare that God is sovereign and that that is great news. Second thing is that God sends us. He sends us into the spots where we're at. Like, you are not on the block that you live on or in the apartment that you're in by accident. You're not at your job by accident. You're not in this church today by accident. God sent you. God's sovereign, and he sent you. And he ordained the steps that you're taking today. It's an amazing thing. Third thing is that God shows favor to his people, and it's just unearned. And in fact, in the New Testament, the word for favor is grace. When God gives us grace, it's not because we're good people, it's because he's good. And God gives favor to his people, not because of, of who we are, although faithfulness is a forerunner to the favor of God. But come on, if you've held your ground and just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my bow and arrow aimed at the goodness of God, I'm going to stay faithful even though I'm not perfect, can I just tell you that God wants to show you favor this year? And then the third or fourth thing that God was showing me is that God's purpose is to save a great many survivors. Now, in, uh, in uh, Tri-Cities, we went through um, a thing over the last couple years like you did uh, called COVID. I don't know if anybody heard of that, uh, where you're at here. You're in the big city. But um, we went through that. But over the last several months, uh, churches began to shift in, in, in some positive ways for us. And we began to just throw out invitations for people who are coming to church that we've never seen before and say, hey, if you, if you want to follow Jesus, we want to invite you. We've seen so many people, an increased number of people hungry for the presence of God, wanting to know Jesus, wanting to give their hearts and life and become Christians. It's been overwhelming to watch because God's purpose is to save people. Like he loves that and it's in his heart. And here's the thing and why I believe the church is gonna be elevated in a positive way in the days to come. Because we have grain and the world is hungry. The world is hungry. I wanna pray real quick. I just want help. Y'all aren't helping me. No, I'm just kidding. I just, come on, we want God's help. I want you to pray with me, though. I want you to pray that God would help you to hear what God wants you to hear for your life. Would you pray that with me? Jesus, we pray and invite your presence to speak to us from the word of God, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus, to give us your perspective today. And we just thank you for the really good-looking people we're sitting next to. Amen. Go ahead and just like... Just say you're so good looking to somebody right now. Just tell them it's awesome. It's good. In January, 
in January, I went on a two-year journey backwards. For whatever reason, I decided to torture myself and just dive in to the history of the last two years. And it was actually created a lot of anxiety in me. And so since I had to go through that, I'm going to make you jump on the train with me, okay? So here we go, a two-year journey. On January 21st, two years ago, the CDC confirmed the first U.S. coronavirus case, and it was a Washington state resident. Come on, so proud of our state. We did such a good job. Forerunners. Uh, February 2nd, global air travels restricted. On February 3rd, two years ago, the U.S. declared a public health emergency because we've gone from that one case to 9,800 cases in 12 days. And so people got a little bit nervous. March 8th, uh, I remember our church on that Sunday was the last Sunday, the Sunday before that, that we had had three services. Our, our sanctuary is pretty small. And we had launched in, on March 8th into four services. And like, it just seemed like the world was just going great. And we had four services, and it was just like God was rocking and rolling, and it was fantastic. And then, then Wednesday came. Now, that Wednesday, Lisa and I were at a pastor's conference in Denver, Colorado, and I remember everybody's phones are beeping, and we're getting news reports from the CDC, and I remember that the NBA closed down, and then I remember that baseball closed down, and then I remember that more flight restrictions, and, and Lisa goes, how are we going to get home? And I'm like, I don't know. We're going to go to Hertz. I'm going to rent you a car, take you over the Rocky Mountains, baby. We're getting home. And, uh, and we just didn't know if we were going to be able to fly home. And then when Disney closed, I went, this is serious. <laughs> Disney doesn't close for anything. And so I went, this is a big deal. And then that next Sunday, we go from four services to our very first video service. And the whole world changed. And then we were at home for months because um, our, 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 our blessed leaders said, stay at home and stay healthy for two weeks. We're like, okay, we'll do that. And uh, so we had two weeks of staying healthy and flattening the curves. And you know what Lisa and I did is we went through our, ca our cabinets because we couldn't do anything. So we found baking soda. I don't know when it was made. I just know when the expiration date on baking soda was. 2008. And so I'm like, this thing moved with us from Vancouver and a couple different homes in between. And so we had gone just through and cleaned out a bunch of stuff, and, but the world was just, it was an odd time. Um, Seattle, the Seattle area in our state accounted for two-thirds of the nation's coronavirus deaths at the time, 19 of them from one suburban nursing home. It was really a wild time. I remember that in all, in all of that, we couldn't go to movie theaters, and I really wanted to see the movie, uh, the Christopher Nolan movie. What was it called? Tenant. And I wanted to see it. And I looked up, like, where is, there's got to be a movie theater somewhere in Idaho or Arizona, or to, and I'm like, I'm going to do a road trip. And I was going to drive for seven hours to go see this movie. Like, I mean, just things were desperate times, people. Do you remember the feeling? <laughs> And that's when we were living. In those two years, the American way of life actually got uh, thwarted. And people were not as independent as they thought. People couldn't do what they wanted to do. They were not the masters of their own destiny. Uh, people in my church that had been sober for five to seven years backslid and, and, and just uh, had, you know, a relapse. And it was some, some were worse than others. Some got back on their feet right away. Some of them didn't are still needing recovery. But I just remember watching some of my friends, that people I love, whose lives got hurt and damaged. I remember marriages breaking apart 
in the middle of this. Listen, you put two people in the room that do okay with five hours at the evenings together, and you make them stay home together all day, that's not a good situation in some cases. Some of my friends went into isolation in our church. And I mean, like, they would just cut the world off. And then some of those people are still completely cut off from other people. And it was just, and everything was divisive. Now, I'm not giving you anything new. I'm just setting the stage to say that it was an awful two-year history. Can I get an amen amen of what happened there? Now, Lisa and I ended up uh, over the last couple of years having a, well, me, me in particular, I, I had a real passion for counseling. Uh, I wanted to get counseling. I needed counseling. Uh, being a pastor, you need counseling. And uh, so I went to a one-week retreat center that was just for pastors and got it intensive care, literally, for my soul. And it was really good for me, and I, and I really loved that. And since that time, I've had a passion to want to study it and learn about it and do good soul care, emotional health. Your, your emotional health matters for your spiritual health, just like your physical health does. And I believe God cares about all of those things. And so I kind of track on my news feed stories about mental health. And here's a couple of the highlights that I started reading in January. Several therapists describe a second pandemic of mental health problems coming to America. And another uh, quote was, in one of the articles was this, it might be some years before we have some sense of normalcy in mental health for children. Some of you maybe have seen the big uh, article that was released in the Washington Post about a week and a half ago that said 44%, 44, almost half of our young people have experienced ongoing levels of depression and anxiety over the last two years. And it's a big national study. Uh, One uh, therapist said, I believe that I'll be helping people navigate the effects of the pandemic for the rest of my career. I just thought, you've got to be kidding me. There's got to be other things we can help people with. But some people are just like, the the, the pileup right now and the backlog to try to get into counseling is tremendous because of that. Here was the report that really got my attention. The quote was this, the crisis is like an iceberg. We're just seeing the tip right now, but the impact will surface in our nation over the next five years. And so the fallout in our nation isn't just the recovery economically or getting back to work or whatever. The, the recovery is going to be the souls of men and women who are damaged and hurting and hungry for authentic grain and something that would heal their souls. And so it's in that moment that I'm literally praying in those 21 days and that scripture, if we can put that back up on there, that I read this scripture and I'm like, God, I think this is what you're trying to show me. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither normal plowing or normal harvest. I said, God, you have my attention. So what is God doing in all of this? I began to just pray and go, God, what are you trying to say? And felt like God gave me four things. I'm going to be really clear about that. Number one is God is sovereign over my life. (laughs) Come on, that's good. God is sovereign. God is not surprised by what's happened in our world. He wasn't surprised about Russia and Ukraine. And and for those of you who want to know what maybe I think about it, and I know that you're all wondering because you all subscribe to my YouTube channel. I know I don't even have a YouTube channel. No, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I think that that's a setup for the gospel for there to be a revival in Russia that we've never seen before and a revival uh, of the church in the Ukraine. Uh, God, God, nothing surprises God. He's sovereign over time. 
he shows Joseph there's going to be seven years of plenty and prosperity, followed by seven years of famine. God is sovereign over time. And I want you to think about your life. God is sovereign over the affairs of your life. It hasn't surprised him. Second thing is, is that God sent me to where I am. God sent me to Tri-Cities. I didn't want to leave this place, but God sent us there for the moments and the years that God needed somebody to be there for the people there. God sent you here on purpose. You didn't arrive here. God sent you here. He orchestrated it. There should be amens from this side of the room. All the, all the Christians are sitting over here. Come on. God orchestrated. the. He sent you. It didn't surprise him. With God sent you here. The third thing is, is that God shows favor. Like in the middle of all the craziness, there's been some really good things that have happened. I'll tell you what was great for me. I got a hold of God in prayer like I've never gotten a hold of God in prayer before. This will make... Um, Pastor Bob McGregor very proud but I actually did a three day fast the whole way through (laughs) in 2022 all glory goes to God he's a miracle worker and then God's purpose in all this like in everything that he's doing is so that he could save people not just you you know why you're still breathing because God has you in the circle of other people's lives and he wants you to lead them to Jesus. He wants you to be a part of that. That's his purpose. All right, so here's, the, here's Joseph's story, just to recap uh, some of Joseph's story, to put it in context. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of people have heard of the nation of Israel and their history and how Jesus and our, our religion comes from that. And it started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so then Jacob has the 12 sons. His 11th son is Joseph. And ironically, in, in, in number world, for those of you who like to geek out on this stuff, the number 11 stands for chaos. And Joseph, who's got a double portion of God's goodness on his life, the grace and the favor came in the chaos. It's an amazing thing. And so here's what happens. His brothers don't like him because Joseph has a dream from God. He was not, not like an American dream where he sat down with a vision board, you know, and Pinterest and just goes, you know what? I really want to become someday. I just want to be an influencer, you know. And he, Joseph wasn't dreaming like that. God interrupted his thoughts and God injected a dream into his soul about his life. It was a prophetic moment. It wasn't something that he was trying to go, what's the best I can do with what I got? No, this was was God's unlikely favor on Joseph's life. And God gives him a dream, and the dream is about bales of grain, and he's one bale of grain, and he has a dream about 11 other bales of grain, which are his brothers, and he has the nerve to say to his brothers, guess what my dream from God was? Y'all were bowing down to me. Bizarre, you know. Two pro tips for you. If you have children, like Jacob had a lot of children, do not let on that one of them's your favorite. Can I get an amen? This is pro tip right here. If you have one child, they're your favorite. Once you have two, everybody's your favorite. And that didn't go well in the family dynamic. The second thing that didn't go well in that family was that Joseph, this dreamer, shared his dream that he was going to be the leader. Now, in that culture, the firstborn would have been the leader. So Joseph, being one of the very youngest, to go, God showed me I'm going to be the leader, 
was highly offensive. And so this is really great because it leads to this moment when they're all working out in the field and the brothers go, here comes the dreamer, let's kill him. And that was their plan. They said, and everybody in the room, it was a church service, they said, amen. And they take him and they go to throw him in the pit. But one of the brothers says, let's not kill him. One of the other brothers goes, I think I know what you're thinking. Let's make some money on this. And they're like, yeah, that's way better than killing him. So they, they sell him. Slave traders come driving by and they sell him to the slave traders. And that slave trader caravan ends up going to Egypt. That's how Joseph gets to Egypt. But can I just tell you that in the middle of the pit, God's favor was on him. And you might just go, man, there's no way. That wasn't God's plan. That shouldn't have happened. I shouldn't have gotten sick. Shouldn't have gone through that divorce. I should not have had that relapse or that new addiction. And I don't like the thing that's happened to me that I didn't choose. And I'm in a pit. And God's will can't be involved in this. Can I tell you, if you're alive, then God's plan is still active for your life. You didn't die in the pit. That was the devil's plan, was to kill you in the pit. But if you didn't die, then God's still good. Come on, if you ain't dead, God ain't done and he's got plans for you and his favors on your life if you're breathing so then he goes from the pit goes to a man's house named Potiphar he was basically the army general for Egypt the superpower at the time and God's favors on him and Potiphar could see it Potiphar began to use him as a slave and Joseph begins to do a great job and as he's doing this really good work he gets promoted and Potiphar can trust him with everything in his house He's running the general's house. It's a pretty big deal. And Potiphar could see the favor of the divine on his life. And God was taking care of him. And he was, in, he was literally in a moment of slavery. And yet he wasn't dead and God's favor was on his life. Gets accused of something he didn't do. So they throw him in the prison. I just always want to say the jail, but I'm a preacher. So you got to say the pit, Potiphar's house in the prison. So he's in the prison. And... Back in those days when you got a prison sentence, there was no sentence. You just got put in the prison. And you were there. They didn't have a sense of justice like, oh, this would fit the crime. We're going to give him three months and then on good behavior. No, he was just in prison. That would have been his end. It was where he was going to die. So Joseph's in the prison. And Joseph, because he had a dream from God, somehow he held on to his faith. And he goes... God, I don't know how you're going to do something in my life, but I'm here. I'm going to start. He starts sweeping up his cell. The jailer starts coming around. He goes, hey, I'll help with that. And Joseph gets promoted, (laughs) and he starts running the prison. This is literally a case of the inmates running the prison. And so Joseph is put in charge of the prison. And it's ironic and funny to us, but, but listen, some of us have been, feel like the spot we're in, we're in prison. Like some of you are in situations, there is just not even with a miracle. There's just not a way out for you. Yeah. Like you're just like the commitments and the way life happened. I'm in this box and I can't get out of this. And I just want you to know that even if you feel like that, God hasn't abandoned you. The favor of God's on your life. And the favor was on Joseph's life. As he's in the jail... Two guys have a dream, have dreams, and Joseph, since he's had dreams from God, he, he goes, hey, I know how to interpret dreams. And he goes, I'll tell you what they mean. He tells one guy, you're going to die in three days. <laughs> tells the other guy, 
you're going to get promoted back to Pharaoh's court in three days. And sure enough, it happens. I'll bet that nobody else said, hey, tell me my dream after that, you know? (laughs) It's like 50-50, you know? The guy goes back, and then Pharaoh has some bad dreams, and Pharaoh has dreams that he doesn't understand. And, and, and so the guy who gets released from the prison goes, uh, I remember some, I, I know a guy. Where, do I, where did I meet this guy? He's like a dream dude. And he's like, oh yeah, he was in jail with me. He goes, hey, we gotta get this guy out. They get him out, they shave him, clean him up, and they put him in front of Pharaoh. And Joseph knows this is another opportunity that he's gonna die because if you don't get it right, what the Pharaohs would do at that moment is they would kill you if they didn't like what you said or for any other reason they had the power literally to go like this or like this with your life in that moment. And he's brought literally right in front of the world's superpower and he begins to tell him his dream and Joseph begins to tell him the interpretation. And Joseph says, both the dreams you had are the same dream and they're from God because God wants you to know so that you can make a difference in the position that he's put you in. And he's gonna show you, he wants you to see that there's seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine after that. And so you need to find somebody wise that you can put in charge in the seven years to collect 20% of the grain so that the nation will not evaporate. This heathen nation of Egypt, the nation, the Babylon, America, like listen to me. I just wanna step out of that for a second. Like, God wants you to prosper in your situation for the benefit of humanity, regardless of how evil the world is. And Joseph is in the pagan world of Egypt, and he's telling the leader of Egypt, God wants to save you and the nation and the world. And so, because God is so good, Pharaoh says, I almost fell off of this thing. (laughs) Pharaoh says... I see the divine favor on your life. You're the man I'm gonna put in charge. And you know what Pharaoh does? He goes, you're not just in charge of the grain. You're not just gonna be in charge of the economy. I'm putting you in charge of everything. And if I had time, and I don't, but I would like to just tell you that that this young man, Joseph, who grew up without a father, he says to his brothers, God has made me a father to Pharaoh. And listen, when the favor of God comes on your life and works through the pits and the prisons and all the situations that you've been in, the things that you thought were lack and the things that you thought, I'm disadvantaged and I don't have this, God can actually, through his favor, turn that around where you have influence in areas that you didn't receive growing up. I've become a father to Pharaoh and I'm in charge of everything. And, And Joseph says, God... God sent me here. You didn't sell me or try to kill me. It was God's plan. He goes, and God sent me here to save a remnant for your family and a great deliverance of people. Can I just say that maybe what God has brought you through to this moment is not just for you, but God has preserved you because he's got a great plan. Man, I'm seeing familiar faces in here, and some of you, God has had a dream in your heart for a long time, and I want you to know that God's not one who gives dreams and doesn't fulfill them. God shows favor in in our lifetime and sometimes after we're gone, but God is faithful to fulfill the dreams that he gives, and if he kept you going 
It's because he's got a plan for your life. So good. I, I think about this, though. I think, I don't know where I would have given up at that point. I would have given up maybe in the pit. Like stage one. <laughs> this sucks. Can't even see. I can't see. It's just dirt. And I just would have been like, I'm, I'm not a Christian anymore. <laughs> they want to kill me. This brother kept his faith alive. Some of you kept your faith alive. I want to honor you today. I want you to know that God honors you. Some of you like had doubts and wondered about things, but can I tell you, if you, if you held on, God sees faith. God wants you to know he's proud of you. God is for you. God's not done. He's got his hand on your life. So in conclusion, the four things I've learned. Number one, God is sovereign over the affairs of mankind. These last two years, and yet five years to come. I just think that God's positioned his church to be in the right place to dole out grain over the next five years to people who are hurting, because God's sovereign. I'd like to say it like this, because sometimes we can't see the future, we don't know what's coming, but our fogginess for the future is not an indication of God's oversight. Our fogginess for the future is not an indication of God's oversight. God can see farther than we can see. We can't even see out of the pit, but God can see the landscape. A little history will build a lot of trust. Um, You know, you just don't know what you don't know. I'm 51, and I know you're looking at that and going, no way. (laughs) It's true. Science. I can't help it. It's a gift. And uh, it's favor. Come on. (laughs) But some of you in this room are younger than me, and you're at a disadvantage. Now, sure, you can eat whatever you want for lunch, and and you'll be able to sleep tonight. Not me. (laughs) I have to choose wisely now. Um, But can I say what I have that's an advantage is I've been around long enough to go through some pits, to go through a couple prisons, been in some Potiphar houses, And I just want some of you that are younger to know this. Don't give up on God too quickly. He's faithful. He'll bring you through. You don't know what you don't know. Lisa and I uh, were at a friend's church in Idaho, and Abby was home for the weekend. Our daughter, Abby, is here with us with her wonderful boyfriend, Landon. They're awesome. And uh, Abby's super smart, and she's young, but she's super smart. She's in Bible college, just going to graduate here in a next month with her two-year degree and then going to keep going and, and all that. But we're in the car. And when I'm, when I'm on a road trip, I, I, um, I like to be the tour guide. That's the kind of parent I am because I'm a great father. And uh, so, like, I'm like, look, cows, you know. Hey, look, trees. And the girls in the car are, like, on TikTok. And I'm like, no, like, like look, tumbleweeds, like, exciting things. That's a unique tree. Look at that bird. You know, that's me. So we're driving through, and we come through this, this part of the terrain, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think those might be the Rocky Mountains. There's these huge mountains. I don't know what they are. So I'm like, I'm like, hey, everybody, look, this is very majestic, God's creation, the Rocky Mountains. And Abby looks up from her phone and goes, oh, she goes, okay, yeah, those are cool, Dad. And I'm like, that's right, I'm a good tour guide. She goes, now, are those, those are famous, right? I said, yeah, they are. She goes, were they named after, what is it, that famous boxer? And I said, do you mean 
Rocky Balboa? And she goes, yeah, I think that's his name. And I said, <laughs> I said, no, I don't think the mountains were named after a fictitious character named Rocky Balboa. I think Rocky might have been named after the mountains. But, and she goes, oh, and we, I, I laughed so hard I almost rolled the car over. But the thing is, is that Abby didn't know, come on, she didn't grow up with those movies like I did because she's young and healthy and vibrant and alive and very smart, but you just don't know what you don't know. Come on, right? Can I just tell you this? If you don't know if God's going to be faithful to you, just stay in the back seat with some of the older folks in here and let them encourage you that it's going to be all right and that that you're going to make it through. You don't know what you don't know, but God's faithful. Second thing I've learned is that God sends us into situations for his own purpose. You're like, you already hit this point. I know, but this is the last time around. Follow with me. I have found this, that, that God is very specific about the details when he sends us into places. Ironically so. Surprisingly so. And uh, like I've learned a lot from the recovery uh, folks at our church. They're really loyal to one another. Like they really stand by each other. And when God delivers you out of a, an addiction, a lot of them, like, they just begin crying when, when we're singing, you know, I'll give you a hallelujah because I don't have much to give a king, you as a king, but I'll give you my hallelujah, but I don't have much to offer. But what they do is they go, I'm going to give back. I'm going to rescue some other people. Yeah. And what happens is that when you go through some deep waters in your life, You think that it's just you going through that, but God can see the future, and he sent you through that and walked with you and had favor on your life in the middle of the darkest pain so that on the other side you could go, I made it through, God's good, I'm going to help somebody. Lisa and I uh, lost a baby at five months uh, when we were pregnant uh, in between Abby and Nolan, and it's surprising to me how many people have miscarried at later stages in their pregnancy in our church that we've been able to cry with, pray with, and go, this is a long, hard road, but you're going to make it through. And out of the deepest, darkest pain, in fact, Rick Warren says it this way. I think I've got a quote here that's pretty good. Your greatest ministry will likely come from your deepest pain. Listen, what you've been through, God's not going to waste that. T.D. Jake's said it this way. He said, when you're born, you're like a key with no cuts in it. And as you go through life, each wound and failure and hurt cuts into that strip of metal. And one day it's a clear click and your pain has formed the key that slips into the lock and opens your future. And we just think that God is allowing bad things to happen to us. God's showing favor to us in the middle of the dark times. Unbelievable. Perry Noble, one more quote, he said, the level of the size of the vision given to you by God is in direct proportion to the pain you are willing to endure. (laughs) Never more truer words were spoken. Listen, if if Joseph had to go through all those things so that he could help distribute grain to Egypt and his own family from another day and, and nations around the world, like God, God has the foresight. He's sovereign. Come on, he sends us. It's amazing. And he's got favor. Can I just, we're going to end in just a minute, but can I just tell you a couple quick stories about favor? 
I still have the microphone, so the answer is yes. <laughs> Unless Pete comes up here, then the answer is no, I'm done. But uh, here's, here's the reality, is that um, I began to study this and uh, began to pray through this, and I got three or four prophetic words from people about my life being like Joseph. <laughs> you know, they didn't know what I was reading, didn't know I was studying this. And I'm like, wow, God, you're really trying to get a hold of my life. So I began to look for favor in my life. And uh, in my prayer time, part of what I pray is I pray through the Lord's Prayer. When I get to the, our daily bread, I stop because I pray it every day. And I go back for the last 24 hours and I go, God, I just want to thank you for the, the goodness that you brought. And I think through all the blessings that happened. Sometimes it's just like, hey, we had three meals yesterday. Thank you, Lord. But, but I'm thanking him for it, and I'm looking for favor, and then I'm praying for that current day. Now, God, today, let me walk in your favor, because you want to favor this unlikely person. And so I began to ask God for favor and to see it. Well, in the middle of January and February, man, it was some of the weirdest, wrongest months of my existence. Uh, it was just some dark times, personally. Uh, my dad died in February, late February, and that was pretty traumatic, as you can imagine. And uh, other things happened. We were on the same trip that we were on going to, to Idaho. That weekend, we got woken up in our hotel room because somebody hit our, our ring doorbell, and it can wake you up no matter where you're at. And they said, hey, uh, somebody just ran into your car. Abby's car had been parked out on the street, and we're up pretty high on a hill, and it's kind of remote almost. But some truck had, had crashed into it, full blast, probably a drunk driver, and didn't just hit it and damage it, flipped it into our yard. It was pretty dramatic and pretty amazing. Like it, and we're like, what on earth? But, but we were glad that Abby was with us and it was okay, but, but like the car was just totaled. And it, it just was, it was pretty crazy. And then the, the night before the Super Bowl, y'all, my Wi-Fi in my house goes out. Also, other random facts, Russell Wilson, Hello, got traded to Denver. Uh, listen, there's been a lot of crazy things also. <laughs> but let me just tell you one story. Let me just tell you a story. Abby's car, we had purchased it. And because of the way the values went up and the lack of used cars, when the insurance claim came in, the value was higher than when we bought it. We were able to get a huge reimbursement check, put more money down. So she's got a better car now than she had. and more of a down payment and our insurance rates went down $47 a month and the car payment went down $53. We, we saved $100 a month. I don't know how that happened, but I just go, that's favor, yeah. right? Here, but, the, but the Wi-Fi story is my favorite. So I had, I bought my Wi-Fi mesh little router thing <laughs> and uh, it went out. And so Super Bowl day was I was so, I was sad because Lisa and I, it was just one of those days where we just didn't want to go be with people. And so like, we're just going to go home with my nice big screen TV and we're just going to eat garbage food for the next two hours together alone. You know, it was going to be glorious. And now that the Wi-Fi is out and our TV runs on the Wi-Fi, we're like, we have to go be around people uh, again. Anyway, so on Monday, I grab my, the Wi-Fi router and I take it to Costco because I love Costco. And Costco will return anything. And I didn't know if I even bought it there, but I thought I'm gonna try. I take the router back to Costco. <laughs> and uh, the lady goes, can I see your card, please? So show her my card. She goes, oh yeah, you bought this in uh, February of 2020? And I went, oh yeah. We had to get our, our home, you know, more Wi-Fi ready for working at home or whatever. And 
She goes, um, would you like cash or a gift card? And I said, oh, you're gonna return it? She goes, yes, we're Costco. And I said, I said all right, a, a, a card would be fine. I'm just gonna go buy another one. She looks it up, she goes, that's great. They're on sale right now. There are, she goes, the prices come down. They're, they're $49 cheaper than they were when you bought it. I went, hashtag favor. And I, I go over to like the Apple computers and the TVs, find the Wi-Fi router. And there's this glorious white printed paper that has the lower price and then the yellow highlight of heaven. And it said, on sale for $49.99 off for this week only. And I went... There is a God in heaven who loves me. Y'all, I, I walked out of there with my Wi-Fi router, $100 on my gift card. Now, here's, here's, here's where it gets really crazy. Five years ago, I had gone to Costco and I bought a pair of Puma shorts. These are important, and I'm almost done preaching, so stay with me. So I'm wearing their Puma. No, 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 not yet! <laughs> Those are not the shorts you are looking for. Okay. So I had purchased some Puma shorts, and they um, were they're sweat shorts. So I, I call them my house pants. Ladies, you know what those are. They're your, they're your stretchy black things that you wear. That's what these are for me, not as tight. So I, I, I bought a pair, and I loved them. And I went back to Costco that next Monday, and I liked them so much I thought I need to buy another pair. Bought a second pair, and Lisa goes, you really like those shorts? I'm like, yeah, they're great. Like, men will understand this, but like they have the kind of elastic that's just the right tightness where you don't have to tie it. You could if you wanted to, but you don't have to. They're the best kind of shorts. And so I was like, I should go buy some more. They're out of the shorts. They have two pairs left. This is five years ago. Two pairs left. I bought them. So I have Monday through Thursday. And sometimes, don't tell anybody, but I wear my Thursday pants on Friday when I'm at home. And so I got my sweatpants. I have worn those every day. So every pair has gotten washed 50 times for five years. Every time I go to Costco, I go, I need to get some more Puma shorts. They don't have them. I'm not big on having a lot of apps on my phone, but a year ago, I'm like desperate. I downloaded the Costco app, looked to see if it's an online purchase, nothing. So I get that cash card from my Wi-Fi, and I just go, God is with me. And I thought, I wonder, and I walked over to the clothing section, y'all, and put the picture up to give glory to God. I found the new version of the Puma shorts in my size. I bought five pairs and had $1.50 left over to buy a hot dog and a soda to celebrate the goodness of God. Favor! I'll tell you what, you start looking for favor in your life and you'll start having a good time too. <laughs> Can I just say this, favor isn't, favor isn't fair and favor isn't free. Like you're going to go through things, but the, the hand of God being with you is the favor of God. Yeah. Yeah. And favor isn't for you and it's not for me. God wants to favor us so like for me with emotional health that I get healthy enough that when somebody comes in and they're struggling with anxiety, I can look them in the eye and go, I know the God of peace. I know what to do. I know what God has said and how to pray. I know what you need. Here's some grain. I've been through it and I know what you're asking and here you go. I'm going to tell you one prophetic word and then... Uh, 
The rest is for tonight, but I saw this church when I was praying. I'm done preaching. I just want to pray this. Um, I saw this church, and it was like, if you were to drive from here to Tri-Cities, you would turn the corner at Hermiston, Oregon, and there's a giant FedEx distribution plant there, hundreds of FedEx trucks. And I saw this church, and it was like the trucks had gone out delivering and giving out so much. And I saw trucks that were just different driving in, and they weren't, they weren't there to pick up. They were there to deliver. And I just saw the Lord, and I believe the Lord was saying this, that God is going to take the years of distribution from this house And he's actually sending reinforcements. He's going to begin to restock and resupply. The days ahead are better than the days behind. And that God has great plans yet for the future of this house. None of the decisions have been by accident, says the Lord, or by default. But the decisions have been by the hand of the Lord. The future of this house is in the hand of God. Even the position of this church on the map, the people that are here now and the people that are coming, all determined by the hand of God. And the Lord is going to open up the waves and the doors for the unsaved once again to come into contact with the God of heaven. I just believe that God is going to begin to bring things here that have been sent out from here in the future. Um, I want to. I want to pray too. I, I forgot this. Would you just close your eyes? Um, I just um, believe that there's probably people, you know, here in this room. I, I believe this is why God sent me here today. And the the path you've been on, the pits and the the jail time, all of it for you, whatever it's looked like, whatever it symbolizes in your life. But some of you wanted to give up and quit and just, today was an injection, like maybe God's not done with me. And you just don't know what you don't know, but I want to tell you God is for you. And maybe you can't see out of the pit, I just want to, I want to, I'm not in the pit right now. I'm standing outside, I just want to say, man, the future looks good. We're going to get you out of the pit. God's got plans to get you out of the pit. And what you're in right now, it ain't going to be forever. And if you just, everybody's eyes are closed, but if you're just in a spot in life where you just go, man, pastor, that is what I need. It's what I've needed. I just, this was a message for me today. I just want to pray for you because I believe that God really cares about what you've been in and been through. So would you just stick your hand up high if you want in on that prayer specifically? Father, I thank you for my friends. God, you, you, know, you, know, you know the deep pain. God, you know the dark night of the soul. God, you know the places where we have felt stuck and could not get out of. But God, I'm praying for every hand that's been lifted, that there'd be favor, there'd be a sense of the nearness of God, the presence of God. God, what we can't see, we're trusting you to see for us. God, the dreams that have been over our life, The things that you spoke to us are true, and we trust in you today. And God, with our hands lifted, I'd just like everybody, could you just sneak your eyes open at me, and could you hold your hands open just 
palms up to, to Jesus like this. Father, we lift our lives to you. God, we want our lives to be used for your purpose, God, to save a great number of people. God, we want the favor of God that's been shown to us. God, we want to we pour that out. We want to see there be grain in the house of God. God, take care of us, but do it so that you can take care of hundreds of other people through our lives. We love you, Jesus.